good morning once again. Current time is 9 a.m. on the news on this Monday, the 25th of January. And welcome to Community Pulse, your locally produced program here on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. As a reminder of our production schedule, you can catch Community Pulse live Mondays and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. right here on your community radio station. The backdated episodes are then uploaded to our website, also our Facebook feed, and you can find the whole catalog on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So today on the program, we actually have a pre-recorded interview. Um, for those of us, or for those of you who tune into our show regularly, you know that one of our favorite topics is the Sewer Shed Project. That is a project uh, undertaken here at the University of Missouri to measure COVID spread through messenger RNA in our wastewater. But before we get to the actual interview, we are as always quite privileged to have Dr. Elizabeth Alleman joining us live. Uh, Dr. Alleman, how are you this morning? I am great, Peter. Thank you for asking. Um, we uh, like to start the show with some numbers. Um, it looks like uh, Boone County numbers, the state numbers, and the U.S. government numbers as far as numbers of cases, the rate and then uh, continuing daily numbers of deaths and um, hospitalizations seem to be trending in a downward direction. Uh, uh, direction and that is great news it's still way higher than is sustainable and there's some question in missouri about whether we're counting uh, positive tests correctly apparently the rapid uh, same day uh, tests called antigen tests are not being counted in our state totals in a reliable way and they may be as much as a quarter of cases in which case our declines are still happening but it's much more of a plateau um and Missouri um, does not appear to have uh, uh, significant numbers of the new, more transmissible variant. Um, and we are moving into our um, spring, uh, or late winter, early spring activities of welcoming college students back into town. And Columbia Public Schools is, are back in in-person education. Uh, bars and restaurants are busier and more full. And the truth is with this new a more contagious variant, which is almost certainly on its way to us, we will um, have to, if we want to keep the numbers going down, we'll have to do more restrictions, which is a sad thing to say. Mm. Uh, the vaccinations are rolling out. Uh, Missouri has now become number 50th in the, in, the, in the United States as far as percentage of population vaccinated, which I have seen people on my Facebook feed being uh, really horrified about. We've been 49th in the nation for a long time in our public health funding. And so to expect that people without, um, that we're not going to, people are not going to do this work of vaccinating people for free. Um, they need to be paid and trained and integrated. And so we are going to have to increase our public health funding if we want better public health. Um, so <laughs> the vaccine is very hopeful. Many people are getting it. I'll get my second dose tomorrow. Um, and it's still really, really frustrating to watch people who should be getting vaccinated have to wait and wait. Oh, um, so bag of mixed news yeah. as always. Uh. <laughs> as always. So it was really exciting for me to do this interview with the researchers who are doing this Missouri Sewer Shed product, Project, which is they are leaders in the nation in doing this. We're still doing great science here. And they had some very interesting things to say. So I hope that people enjoy listening to it as much as I did doing it. And then we'll be back on the other end to, to wish you all well. 
Okay, uh, we'll get that rolling for you in a second. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to say about who you're interviewing and uh, anything else to set up the interview at all? Okay, so now you're going to catch me because I don't have their names exactly lined up. They will introduce themselves as soon as, they, um, as the interview starts. They are researchers from the University of Missouri from the Division of uh, Natural Resources and the Department of Health. And they're looking, and they were going to describe their project. It's all, the interview is pretty self-contained. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Alleman. Uh, we'll go ahead and get that interview rolling, and I'll speak to you on the other side. Okay. I want to say good morning to the three investigators with the Missouri Sewer Shed uh, COVID testing project, and I'll let uh, the three of you introduce yourselves. I'm Mark Johnson um, at the University of Missouri. I am Chris Weberg with Missouri Department of Natural Resources Water Protection Program. Jeff Wenzel with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services Bureau of Environmental Epidemiology. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm wondering if one of you could just give a summary of what your project is and what you have been hoping to do. Yeah, I can give a summary. So we have been working since April of 2020 to stand up a project where we would sample um, wastewater for the genetic material or markers of COVID-19 or the coronavirus. This is involving a partnership between DHSS, MBNR, and um, the University of Missouri to make it all happen. Currently, we sample uh, over 50 different municipalities across the state that represent over 70 percent of the state's population in terms of the, the folks that are contributing <clears throat> to the watershed or the sewer shed. Um, we take samples once a week and then those are couriered to Jeff City and, and Columbia to, to be uh, analyzed for the genetic material. And then we um, come up with a volume of material that then can be utilized by DHSS and local public health agencies to, to help inform um, any mitigation efforts related to the virus. This seems like a really big and daunting project. And uh, I've been waiting since we talked before eagerly to get the data. And I think we had, what well, I, th I think what I remember the three of you saying was that you would hope to have data available to share by August, and we're <laughs> the the hopefulness that many of us have had during this pandemic, um, and the data started being available what two weeks ago? Is that right? Or yeah, first, first part of January. First part of January. Just just to be clear, though, it, it it wasn't it wasn't in my vault. I mean, every week, almost the moment we got the data, we shared it with all the municipalities and all of the public health. Everyone who needed to see it, we tried to get it in their hands. It was just, it took a long time to get the dashboard up and looking the way we wanted it to. Hey, thanks for saying that. I didn't mean to be critical. I just- Oh no, I just wanted to be clear. <laughs> recognizing that it was a bigger project than I realized. And um, it seemed um, uh, uh, optimistic when you told me you thought it would be available. And actually you have data from early August that's on the dashboard now. Yeah. Okay. Can you describe what a sewer shed is and how it is that we can tell about what we can tell from the virus by looking at sewers? 
Right. So um, sewer shed is kind of a, an analogous term or a related term to watershed. So I think a lot of folks kind of understand the concept of watershed from the standpoint of where it rains on the land, that water flows to a stream and that is the watershed. Well, it works very similar in terms of a sewer system. A sewer shed would be all of the points of uh you know, domestic wastewater coming into uh, a system of pipes that are underground that then flow to one central location, which is usually a wastewater treatment facility. So that, that wastewater treatment plant that's usually outside of town that nobody really wants to live by or go by because it kind of can be smelly or something of that nature, that's the end point of the sewer shed. And the sewer shed in of itself is all of those pipes, manholes, and 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 places that collect that wastewater in town um, or in, in that sewer system. So it, it's, it's just a term of art that we use to characterize where is that wastewater being collected from because there is a defined population using that sewer shed. And once you know that defined population, then you can start to um, make some, um, some inferences or, or characterizations related to the data that were collected with regard to the amount of genetic material. And talk about, if you would, how it is that we can say anything about the virus based on sewage. I think all of us are aware that we shed this virus in our respiratory systems and that we need to be careful about our sneezing and talking and laughing. Um, but how are we detecting anything in our sewage. So we um, we are we have found that individuals shed some some form of the virus in their stool um, about four to six days prior to showing symptoms. If if we show symptoms, so we're shedding enough of it to where we're able to see it in the sewer shed. Um, we all shed a little bit different level of that virus um, and we shed a different level of that virus depending on what stage of the illness we're, we're in. But we have found that, you know, those, those viral levels that we're finding in the sewage and those changes in those levels are meaningful. We're seeing that a 40% increase in viral load from one week to the next uh, often results in, often, six, 70% of the time, results in us seeing a, an increase in human cases, uh, about 25, uh, uh, an increase in human cases of by 25%. Sorry, that was, that was awkward. A 40% increase in viral load in the sewage we're seeing about a week later, a 25% increase in known human cases, 70% of the time. Well, that would th I would think that that would be helpful in um, predicting what's gonna happen next. I'm wondering, I was looking at your graphs. Um, so would one of you give the website so that if listeners wanted to look at the dashboard, they could find it themselves? The website's, uh, a little awkward right now. We need to work on, on getting a better link to it. But if if you go to health.mo.gov, we have a link in our slider bar. It's called Sewer Shed Surveillance. 
COVID-19 tracking tool. Great. So I was looking at that data this morning uh, for Boone County, and it was looking like um, we have similar numbers or maybe a little bit lower based on um, nasal swab PCR tests in Boone County now compared to say mid-November. But we've got almost double the amount of viral DNA copy or RNA copies in the sewer shed. And I'm wondering how often does it not quite correlate like that? Or am I looking at the numbers wrong? One thing to keep in mind is that uh, the sewer shed is not all of Boone County, so it's not necessarily going to match up perfectly. And Boone County has been pretty well behaved in terms of correlation. But yeah, I mean, 25 or 50 percent here or there is um, it, it isn't perfect, but it, it has trended very clearly with the cases. OK, we have a separate um way of looking at just the number of cases that are in the sewer shed, but there's always a lag for us to get that data. So um, it takes us a few weeks to know exactly how it's matching up. Would you say that's accurate, Jeff? Yeah, I would agree, Mark. I, I wouldn't say that we would are comfortable with saying a, a certain value in August would yield the same number of cases for that same viral load in December. What we're looking at and taking note of is is that those trends, those changes, those uh, changes over the last week or two. So it's going to be difficult to compare one sewer shed to another. One sewer shed that has a viral load of five million is not going to have the same number of cases as another uh, sewer shed with five million uh, in viral load, and at the same time that that same um, system over time is going to change and have different factors. So um, it's not always going to relate to cases. And we have different changes in testing rates of the population and, and population size over time. So it makes it very difficult to compare. Um, right. Just to kind of reiterate something that Mark said that's important is that the sewer shed is delineated on the the map viewer or the, the dashboard and that sewer shed from a spatial extent may encompass multiple zip codes and most of the general public isn't able to access case data on a zip code basis right. and so making those comparisons is, is very challenging. Right, I, as we talked before, sewer sheds and political boundaries um, do not correlate the way you might have wished. So we're counting the baskets that we're counting people in are different. Yes. Yeah, and it can be really, you know, we've had lots of uh, little lessons along the way, but it's it gets really <laughs> interesting when your when your sewer sheds spanned multiple counties, or it's it gets interesting. Multiple yeah. states. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that happened too. Yeah, I I think that we have, I, my brain has been doing a similar sort of dance about um, school districts versus zip codes, which don't always overlie as well. Um, so I'm wondering if there have been some surprises um, in, I'm sure there have been. Are there any that you want to talk about? <laughs> well, I can kind of start and then Mark and Jeff can jump off, but we've definitely identified areas that deserve additional research with regard to this type of work. 
tracking viruses through sewer sheds and it's got great utility i think from a public health perspective but there are also efforts on the federal front to from for my work in wastewater to um to evaluate whether water quality standards should um, be developed for viruses and so this uh, also kind of plays into that but we've seen challenges with regard to the, the the virus we're working with now in terms of suppression of the signal where we know cases exist in a sewer shed but we have challenges with regard to the results of the data because something in the wastewater because there's a lot in wastewater that you know people don't think about you know whether it's just a, a product of industry or manufacturing or you know the human waste part of it um something is suppressing signals uh in various sites and we want to to study and research that more and so um mark and jeff have done a great job of of working to secure a an NIH grant, a National Institute of Health grant to, to help us study that over the next couple of years. Um, and we, we just actually were awarded that recently. And so uh, that's kind of our phase two uh, effort is to study that as well as to um, try to stand up additional research and, and, and gather data from congregate care facilities that we're not currently sampling. Um, so uh, those types of facilities like nursing homes or long-term care facilities are, uh, are areas where we would like to see if we can, can make a go of actually collecting meaningful data in those settings. Um, and, and, and so that's, that's two areas that we've kind of come across that need additional research. There, there are a lot of other things that will throw off the numbers too that have nothing to do with suppression. Um, one of the ones that uh, it took us a while to figure this out is that I'll, I'll just tell you specifically, it was um, there are two sewer sheds in Joplin and one of them always had much higher numbers than the other one. And I couldn't ever figure it out. And we were, we were spinning all these different ideas of, um, you know, is it people who are, you know, moving in that, that don't live, just come in there during the week who don't actually live there. And, um, we had all kinds of wild ideas. And then what we finally figured out, I think it was Chris that pointed out, he pulled out their thing. It's like, you know, cause the, this, the one that had the really high numbers was the smaller sewer shed of the two. So it was on the Southern County. And Chris said, you know, I think there's a couple hospitals in there. And we looked at it and as it turns out, you know, I didn't, you know, Joplin, I think it was part of Missouri, but once you actually scan out a little bit, the, the greater Joplin area has like 300,000 people in it. And almost all the only hospitals from that entire region are in this one little sewer shed where, where we were doing all of our sampling. And so we, we checked with the health department there. It's like, do you have a lot of COVID patients right now? And sure enough, there were twice as many COVID patients in their hospitals as there were in the rest of the sewer shed, which is like, oh, that's why the numbers were high. <laughs> but yeah, yeah but once you know, it's it's like, oh, okay, this all does make sense, which was pretty right. cool. Yeah, and then um, hospitals tend to be places, of course, that people with COVID are concentrated and could be they could be there even though they people live in their residences in a different count, different place altogether. It's, it's usually not that big of an issue. Like it doesn't seem to throw off Columbia's numbers, but Columbia has a very large sewer shed, so it, there's way more cases in the 
community than there are in the hospital. But if you have a small sewer shed that draws from a lot of people where the hospital is, it can kind of make a mess of things. Do people shed RNA, COVID RNA after vaccination with these RNA vaccines? Do we know? That's a great question. No, we don't know. Um, As far as I know, it's still not entirely known whether people with the vaccine, whether they don't get infected at all or whether it's just um, kept at bay enough that they don't become symptomatic. So that's one of the things we we really hope to to help figure out once the vaccine is fully deployed is, is whether the virus is still circulating or whether it actually goes away. Oh, because I was going to ask you whether you were still going to be interested in collecting from these uh, congregate uh, living facilities, some of whom are nursing homes and are on a priority for uh, having their residents be vaccinated. I think we'll probably we'll keep sampling, I think, at least until they they reach zero and maybe even a while after that. Um, I I don't think this virus is going to completely go away anytime soon. Um, We might get it under control if all the people who need to get vaccinated actually are vaccinated and then we'll find out how long that uh, immunity lasts but i i doubt it's going to disappear for some time yeah i think one of the things when we talk about that that we don't remember is that we don't have a vaccine yet that's approved for anybody under the age of 16 and the approval between 16 and 18 was more political than scientific so until we have a vaccine for children i don't see how we're going to do this and then i just read somewhere that the gorillas in the San Diego Zoo have been diagnosed with COVID. So if we get animal reservoirs, I think we're really going to live with this for a long time. Yeah. And you've, you know, those, there was those mink outbreaks that were just crazy. Um, yeah. These breaks yeah. in mink populations and as well as the big cats. Yeah. This is, I mean, among scientists, this was a, a real concern early on that, um, Starting off, we, we think this probably came from a bat, but, you know, we're probably seeding all kinds of potential reservoirs where the virus could, you know, leave and then come back. So anything that, um, like, so I asked you about surprises, Are there were there things that you expected to have happen and then they've gone just exactly the way you thought and you've gotten the data you ex- predicted? I think early on, you know, we we had a a, a good idea that this is going to this was going to work as far as identifying a community that had uh, a COVID case or COVID cases in it. Uh, that was really our our initial um, our initial goal. What we what we thought we could accomplish, but I can continue to be surprised with uh, how much we can learn from testing the sewers and, and how much we continue to learn. Yeah, I mean, I think when we started that we were thinking it would be basically, I thought it was going to be like, yes, no. I mean, is it positive? Is it, I thought maybe we could bunch it into high, medium, low, but we're getting closer to that within an individual sewer shed that we're like, oh, okay, this is, you know, roughly what you can expect. But you know, but we keep going. Now we're we're going to we're starting to sequence the stuff from the from the virus, so we can actually check whether the variants, new variants, are appearing in communities. You know, from a bird's eye view. I mean, collectively for the whole community, looking at whether um, there's new variants that are, that are appearing or potentially increasing. Um, I think that'll be 
particularly important once the vaccine is deployed, if there really are uh, versions that are resistant to immunity, or at least partially. So that is very exciting. So you're already doing the sequencing now? Uh, On a small level, yes. We're, We're scaling up. Because one of the things that's been interesting to me is looking again that this sort of as a global thing is that we first detected this 2020-12 B117 variant in Kent, England. Uh-huh. And then I think the second place they found it was in Denmark. Well, those are, as far as I understand, the countries that are doing the most surveillance. Uh-huh. And I would think statistically, it we must be having them in the United States. We have the most cases. Yeah. We most it's de- most definitely in the United States. Um, I can say we, from all the sequencing we've done of Missouri sewer sheds, we have not detected it yet, not even a hint of it. But that's that just means it's not prevalent. Um, we're trying to scale up to a point where we can really say, is it there at all? And because it's so much more contagious, we would expect that if it's here, you would see it soon. Yeah. Uh, it's believed to be more contagious. Assuming that is correct, we w- you would expect to see it once it's seeded to be increasing. Although the first case in Colorado, they were the sample was taken on December twenty fourth, and you know you're not hearing about, they're looking really carefully. They've got the the same. Um, there's this particular uh, PCR that you can do, which will give you an indication of whether you have the variant or not, which is how the UK got a lot of their data. And a lot of the public health labs are using the same kit. So I know at least in Colorado, that's, that's what they're using in there. They've, they've still only had three cases. Okay. Which is reassuring and then a little sobering that our, that our rapid increases that we're seeing in the United States are likely not from the variant yet. What's sobering is they don't have the foggiest idea where they got it. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You know, it doesn't just pop up out of thin air. It follow, follows a lineage. So they had to have gotten it somehow. So there's there's some there's some line of people that were infected before them. And we don't know what that line is. Right. <laughs> I mean, none of them had just gone to England or anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's similar to when we were first doing this a year ago and we were beginning to detect the first cases of people who had not traveled and didn't have any contact. Could we use this to track influenza? That's a good question. We've, we've actually started doing a little testing to see if it would work. I'm not sure. So the thing is, is that in the beginning, I didn't think this would ever work with a respiratory virus um, because Things that are in your lungs have to go through your stomach and your digestive tract. And for the most part, viruses, they're the type of SARS-CoV-2, don't survive through that environment. So in the beginning, I was surprised that we detected the signal at all. But um, I'm pretty sure the reason why we can detect it is because a lot of people get secondary infections in their GI tract. That's why Mm -hmm. some patients get diarrhea. Right. Um, So there actually are are infections... um, of your cells much closer to the exit, if you will, which would explain why the virus can be released and, and then we can detect it. I don't think that is true of influenza. So I'm not sure whether enough 
of the RNA would live through the digestive tract. But I, I just don't know yet. That's right. one of the things we want to ask. Although it could be used for lots of other types of viruses, like the enteric viruses, norovirus, things like that. Those, I'm sure, would survive through, as well as like papillomavirus, um, ones that are uh, much more stable. So are there, before we wrap up, um, what do you want the listeners to know um, uh, moving forward and final summarizing thoughts? For me, I, I would note that we this is a, a tool, an interesting tool that we hope is, is useful, uh, but it's one of many. And to get a big picture, you really need to look at, at multiple tools. And, and we hope this is one of those tools that, that provides uh, some answers. From uh, my perspective, being a regulator of wastewater, um, the wastewater utility is is kind of the unsung hero of public health. Sometimes people don't like paying their sewer bill very very much, and and people like to complain about it a lot. But I think this project points towards um, another great uh, use of that piece of infrastructure that we have to help manage public health. And so, uh, getting another bit of utility out of um, the infrastructure, I think, is has been a, a great thing for the industry. What's cool about this is this kind of technique had been used a little bit before, but it had never really seen big, the big times. But I think that now that we realize we can do this, we're, I think this is going to be applied for lots of questions long after this pandemic is over. Well, thank you very much, Mark Johnson of the University of Missouri, Chris Weberg of uh, DNR, and Jeff Wenzel of the Department of Health and Senior Services, uh, together the watershed, I mean, the sewer shed surveillance project. Uh, you can check that out online at the Department of Health and Senior Services uh, website. And uh, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that brings us back live. Dr. Alleman, thank you so much for investing all of the, uh, the time to conduct that interview. Was there anything else that you wanted to add before we sign off for the day? No, I'm just so grateful to have such remarkable people in Missouri doing such incredible work. It's an honor to be a part of KOPN and finding out about these things. And I'll just end off with my general blessing of wear your mask, wash your hands, stay out of public spaces, um, take your vitamin D, and uh, cultivate a cheerful confidence that your body can handle a viral infection. And we'll talk to you again next Monday. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Alleman. As always, we kindly and sincerely appreciate it. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in to Community Pulse, your locally produced uh, program here on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri, done uh, by your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. Uh, If you happen to miss part of today's show, it is available on our website, kopn.org, now. You can also find it on our Facebook feed, along with all of the relevant links later today, and Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where the entire catalog is available. As Dr. Alleman mentioned at the beginning of the program, uh, some bleak news to start off your Monday. Missouri is 50th uh, out of 50 states in vaccine distribution, and it seems that this would never be a better time than to remind all of our listeners that the message from your friends and neighbors at your community radio station is please stay safe and stay informed. We will come to you again live on Wednesday. Until then, pleasant couple days. <laughs>